Hello, and welcome to the final episode in PEDRA's Emerging Mechanisms of Action in the Treatment of Moderate to Severe Alopecia Areata. Throughout these series, we've covered the do's and don'ts of clinic visits, we've discussed JAK inhibitors and the outcomes of current research, as well as the psychosocial impacts of the disease. Now we turn to a very special patient family to hear the patient perspective. I'm Jen Dawson, Pedra's Associate Director of Educational Programs, and leading today's interview is Dr. Britt Craiglow. Dr. Craiglow is the Adjunct Associate Professor of Dermatology at Yale and sees patients in private practice in Fairfield, Connecticut. Hello. And sitting down with Dr. Craiglow today is Mother Crystal. Hi there. And her lovely daughter, Gracie. Hey. So at this point, I'd like to turn it over to you, Dr. Craiglow. Thank you guys first so much for participating. We're really excited to have you here. And I think, you know, I, I think we can, as dermatologists, we can read a lot in books and, you know, in articles and listen to presentations and things like that. But, but really and truly, we learn so much from patients and families. And I think um, this is really important for people in the medical community to hear and to learn from you. So we're really excited to hear your perspective. So maybe you can just start by kind of um, maybe giving us a little bit of background. Um, You can, you know, sort of your age and anything you like to do, and then maybe sort of um, start in about, you know, when when you were first diagnosed with alopecia areata. Okay. Um, So I'm 13 years old. I'm in eighth grade. Um, So I was first diagnosed with um, alopecia at the end of fifth grade, which would be 2019, and I started losing hair, and um, we weren't really sure what it was. We went to, like, multiple doctors until we figured out that it was, I'm not sure who diagnosed me with it, maybe a dermatologist um, with alopecia. and then I'm sure, what, what do we do? Do we go to Connecticut first? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she, she came to me quite a few times and said, you know, I'm losing hair. And I said, oh, Grace, that's normal. Like everyone sheds hair. Um, and she's like, no, mom, I mean like lots of hair. Like when I'm reading a book, there'll be a, a pile of hair on my book. And I'm like, well, that's not, you know, normal. But then I started looking at her hair. Well, I pulled up my hair, like in a ponytail and like I had lost um, what's the pattern called? Ophiasis. I had like an ophiasis pattern, like baldness. So it was just like under, um, like the lower part of my scalp, I guess. Yeah. It looked like someone had just shaved off the whole bottom half of her scalp. Um, so we first went to a doctor here locally in Greenville who diagnosed her. And, um, I came home to just in my nature, I started researching and of course sort of freaked out about what the future was of alopecia um, and, you know, researched every kind of treatment and, um, you know, are there remedies, are there cures? And I asked for another phone call with our local dermatologist. um, And, you know, I told him I had read studies and he could just tell I was very interested in going beyond, I think he first prescribed like clobidazole and Rogaine and Rogaine did not work well. Clobidazole. What happened on Rogaine? Rogaine. Um, I started growing hair like all like my face, my down my neck, my back. Mustache. It was not. Yeah, it was. Rogaine was not working. And then I don't remember what whatever the other one was. Yeah, we say. did something else that turned her whole scalp red. So anyway, nothing was um was working. And 
he called back and said that he had he had read about um, you, Dr. Craig Lowe and Dr. King's research, and they were you know up and coming treatments of JAK inhibitors, and you would be a good person to contact. And so that's what we did, and we came, came to up you. to Connecticut in 2019, um, and I think we 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 only went up there one time, but um, we came up there and. Then I guess we just, we, she we the, yeah, she prescribed the medicine. Um, and we had to like, uh, not file attempts with insurance, file attempts, appeals, appeals with insurance. Um, and they, uh, what's the word? Kept denying it. Denied it. No, I'm talking about like the third time approved. Um, they approved like the third appeal. Um, but at that point we had already, like we found a clinical trial and we had enrolled in a clinical trial, which is in Florida. So do you remember Gracie, like kind of how you were feeling or what you were thinking during that time? Yeah. Had you, it was never, had you ever heard of alopecia areata before? No, no, we hadn't. Um, I don't, I mean, I'd never heard of it. I don't think that my mom had either. Um, I was, it was hard definitely because, you know, I was diagnosed with the end of fifth grade and, uh, probably for the last month of school, I would say I, um, did like after school, like I just, I just came to school after school was over and my fifth grade teacher just kind of went over with me what they had done that day, um, for the last month of school. Because um, you weren't comfortable going. Yeah. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Um, I think I think if I remember correctly, when you guys came, you were like kind of rapidly losing hair, like it was happening fast, right? Yeah. And so I think it's important to point out that you had sort of this opiasis pattern, then but then very quickly just started shedding and went on to essentially complete hair loss. Yes. Yeah. Right? After I lost the opiasis pattern, I got a like bald spot. Um, right at the front of my scalp. Um, I think it was the right side, like right above my forehead. Yeah. Um, That's where all that baby hair is coming in. Um, that's when I stopped going to school because there was a you know bald spot. When I had the OPS pattern, I kept going because you couldn't really like notice. But whenever I, I got that bald bands. spot there, yeah, I started wearing headbands to volleyball and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to shave my head before I even came up to Connecticut to see you. But my mom was like, just wait until we go up there. And then I came home and I'm pretty sure I shaved it that weekend. Um, but so, yeah. And then the whole summer I was completely bald with like no regrowth. Um, and then, you know, going into sixth grade, that was definitely hard because, you know, going into sixth grade and wearing a wig isn't an easy thing to do. And then also like, having to wake up an hour or an hour and a half earlier every morning to draw on eyebrows or put on eyelashes or whatever also wasn't ideal. And, you know, as like in going into middle school, your first year of middle school, it's difficult because you want, you don't want like people to say that your eyebrows look fake or people to know that you're wearing fake eyelashes or whatever. Or that, like, most of the times I didn't even wear fake eyelashes. I just drew with eyeliner, and you don't want people to notice that you didn't have eyelashes. So, you know, it was it was a lot, but. And tell about what it's like to wear a wig, because I have a lot of patients who see, 
who, you know, who've seen providers and they've been told, well, you can wear a wig. What's it actually like to wear a wig? Yeah, it's definitely like, like I said, not ideal. It's it, my wig was good and it looked great. And, you know, it, um, has rubber inside of it, which is good because it sticks to your head, but it also gets super hot. And like when you get sweaty and I, like I said, I played volleyball or I play volleyball. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, you get sweaty and it starts to slide and, you know, people do notice that you have lace on your forehead and, um, you know, eventually while I was still wearing my wig, at one of my volleyball tournaments, a girl hit a ball and it hit my head and my wig came flying off. So, you know, in front of everyone and that it was awful. Um, so, you know, it's definitely not good and fun, you know, it like, and, and at first when you're like, Oh, I get to wear a wig, it kind of seems like fun. And I mean, parts of it are fun because you can change up your hair, but for the most part, I would, it's not as great. <laughs> yeah. There were girls at school that like, who wear wigs, you know, like in their family, a lot of people wear wigs and they definitely like spotted it immediately and thought she was just wearing a wig to try to be like pretty. extra or pretty or fancy. And so um, she got, you know, made fun of by that group of girls um, until you know they, the, the principals brought her in and tried to educate them and say, look, she has a medical condition. And then they did feel awful, but you know. Yeah, I mean, one of the girls came up to me at lunch and was like, I'm so sorry, I had no idea. So, you know, that was, that was, I think, probably the worst experience, I guess, I had that school year. Um, but, you know, the girls were very, all very sincere in their apologies. And one of them wrote me a apology letter and one of them came up to me and like apologized to my face. So it was, you know, it was a learning experience for all of them. Yeah. And Crystal, I mean, as a parent, this has to be, I mean, as a person going through it, it's awful but but as yeah. a parent watching your child go through this and I imagine you feel kind of powerless and it was, what what does it feel like honestly as a parent? It was, yeah it was the worst experience I mean maybe that says something about how blessed of a life I've had but it was the worst experience of my life um you know to have her come out of the shower crying with handfuls of hair in her hand and asking what do we do and I am a, a fixer by nature and I want to find a, a fix for it and just felt completely helpless and powerless. And knowing that, you know, at that time, based on what I had read, it was going to be forever. You know, there was no like cure for it. It was uncurable. Yeah. There was no medicine for it. I mean, it was just, you really felt helpless and, um, and we're very strong in our faith, you know, so really picked up, uh, you know, our closeness and praying for an answer and, um, but it was, you just want to take the place of your child. You just want it to be you instead of them. And honestly, Dr. Craig, like I pray every single night that another one of my kids don't get it. We have five kids and I find myself checking their hair all the time. Like it's a little bit weird. I don't know if I've become obsessed with it, but I mean, Gracie can attest, like I check her hair all the time and just, you know, try to stay on top of it. But um, yeah, it was awful. That's an understatement. Yeah. I mean, I think that you know, it's interesting your comment, you know, it shows what a blessed life you've had. I think it, there is this, because people, you know, even because you're not sick, 
people mm-hmm. have you, it's this funny psychology where you almost feel bad that you feel bad, or you have to sort of like make these, you know, say, well, it's a sign that I've had, you know, a great life, but, but like, it's awful for everybody, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, I think that that's something that really people need to understand and, and feel okay about, like, I think it's really normal for this to be a very hard thing. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're not grateful for the good things in your life, or, you don't, you know, you, you don't, you're not appreciative or, you know, like, of course things could always be worse. Right. But that doesn't, it shouldn't take away from, you know, your own experience. And so I think it's very different from a lot of the, you know, a lot of medical diseases in that it is, you know, it's, it, it's not cosmetic because it is a medical disease and it's not, you know, it's, you just want to be normal basically, mm-hmm. but you're not sick. It's not going to put you, land you in the hospital. Right. It's not, you know, so, so the experience I think is very different in terms of how other people kind of understand it. Like, I think, you know, your child had, you know, has pneumonia or severe asthma or has cancer. Everybody is, oh my goodness, you know, what can we do for you? Or, you know, and then when it comes to alopecia areata, I think, you know, certainly there are going to be people who are, who are understanding and supportive, but oftentimes that support comes in, in a way that I think, and correct me if I'm, if you don't feel the same, but I think is like really unhelpful. Like, it's like, oh, she's still so beautiful. It's just Mm -hmm. hair, you know, all of this, what I kind of, feel a sort of toxic positivity around it. Um, and so did you have, like, did you tell your friends, Gracie, or did you tell other people? And if so, you know, how did they respond? And did you have any experiences like that where you, you know, obviously there it's well-intentioned, but sometimes it can almost make you feel worse. I don't know if you, if you felt that at all. Yeah, I think, uh, for sure. The something that I heard all the time was it's just hair and, you know, it, other people have it worse. And I don't think that that's necessarily like a bad mindset, but I do. Yes. Mom told me that, but trying to encourage her to say like, it could always be worse. Um, but I definitely do see how, you know, (laughs) that can make you feel like your issues feel like lesser than, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, I did. I told my friends, um, I told two of my friends, um, as soon as it happened before I even stopped going to school. Um, and then all of my other friends either kind of already knew from, you know, what, however they found out they, most of them already knew. Um, but I, like I told them about it, um, at the beginning of sixth grade, which was like a few months, I guess, three-ish months after it happened. Yeah, I'll just go to go back how quickly it did happen. I mean, I think in around April um, is when we first really noticing it. And by July, um, she had lost all of her hair, 100% of her hair on her head. And then by the beginning of the school year, so I'll say August mm-hmm. to September. Well, I had, I had my eyebrows and eyelashes when you first started. When I first started sixth grade and my eyebrows and eyelashes fell out 
probably a month or two into school, which this is going to sound crazy, but honestly, like losing my eyebrows and eyelashes for me was worse, worse (laughs) than my hair because of what I said, you know, you it's, I feel like hair is easier to make it not noticeable, I guess. Um, Like the, my wig, like I said, was great. And, you know, you could, if you really looked, you could tell it wasn't mine, but (laughs) um, you know, with drawing on eyebrows and not having eyelashes, I think that's a lot harder than putting on a wig. Yeah, she said if she had to lose anything again, she'd rather lose her hair and keep her eyelashes and eyebrows just because you can fix it. And she would, I mean, she was pretty brave about going out without a wig. She got to that point, but to go back to what you said, it always has resonated with me when we came to the appointment with you. Um, And you, you said that not to diminish it because it's not just hair. It's like, you know, affects your whole life. And you said the difference between you and a person with cancer is yes, cancer is awful, but they have a way to fight it and they have a game plan and they know, you know, like, let's go take this and fight it. Whereas alopecia at the time, I mean, I know that's changing, but you know what, there was no real game plan to a guaranteed fix for it. And there's not to cancer either, but you know what I'm saying? Just not a treatment, like the same plan. And it really stuck with me. And so, so speaking of treatment, uh, tell us why it's important to treat it or why it was important for you to, to seek treatment. Um, I think this is just kind of me guessing, but I, I think that most of the people who decide not to treat it are older than me. Um, and you know, not like, not saying that it isn't important for them to, have hair (laughs) but uh just as being 12 years old at the time I guess um going into middle school I think it was really important to me to have hair just because every I mean you know when I'm I mean I I don't know how to say this but just to be normal and to look normal how everyone else looks and I mean, that's just what I wanted, I guess. That's just yeah. really. I think for me, it was a little bit different um, of a thought process. I mean, it's your kid and you don't want your child to be on medicine for the rest of their life. But at the same time, I was trying to balance and weigh the quality of life that she'll have without hair with, you know, what are the possible side effects and risks of, of taking the medicine and, um, you know, I just read as much as I could and I talked to as many health professionals as I could, dermatologists like yourself. And um, I basically said, if this was your child, what would you do? Because I always feel like, you know, if you would put your child on it, the person you love more than anything, then it should be good enough for mine. Um, and then I talked to Gracie about like, this, these are the side effects that it says, and, you know, it can lower your immune system and it can, which your immune system can help you fight cancers and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, serious side effects. Um, But again, just prayerfully, we decided that it was best to to give it a try. And I said, even if it gives her hair for a year or two, that's a year or two of her life that she's going to have it and not to have to deal with, um, you know, no hair. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about this a a lot in dermatology and that a lot of things we see aren't aren't necessarily life-threatening, but they're kind of quality of life threatening. Right. And, and I do think that alopecia areata is something that for many people can really 
has a potential to kind of alter one's trajectory, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what you're saying about Gracie is like you wanted her to live her life as she would with hair, to live the life that she's kind of meant to live, right? And um, and I think, you know, the the risk piece is important, I think, to talk about because, you know, medicines, all medicines have risk, but the medicines that are, um, you know, being used now, uh, for alopecia areata do have some serious risks and, and it's something, you know, that we need to weigh and, um, to talk about. So was that, how much did that kind of play into your decision? Like, did, did you have a lot of concern about risk or were you sort of more just like, this is really important. You know, we've got to do what we've got to do. Um, I think, I mean, the risks definitely are important and I still question, um, am I making the right decision? She gets sick out of my five kids, she's always the first to get sick at our house. Um, we've had, you know, COVID through our house twice. And she was the one, well, the first time only she got it, but she was the one who got it first. And, um, the thought of her, as she gets older and is aging and a lowered immune system scares me as well. Um, and, you know, I've questioned, she handled it so extremely well, honestly, when she lost her hair. That's what I was going to go. I think what you're about to say is um, the doctor who we're going to see in Florida, who's kind of in charge, I guess, of the clinical trial. Um, he has said that whenever you get pregnant, you'll have to go off of the medicine. And, you know, if you like get if for any reason. I need to go off of the medicine and I lose my hair again. I like, I'm just like thinking forward to it. I feel like this time, I, I don't know why, but I feel like I would be more upset, which is kind of scary because I'm like, well, you know, when I get pregnant, I don't want to, I don't know. I mean, it's just pregnancy by itself, I assume is hard. <laughs> um, so, you know, going through that and losing your hair at the same time, if I have to go off that medicine, it's not something I look forward to. Yeah. So I've questioned like, am I doing her a a disfavor by um, letting her have hair? And then at some point, if she loses it again, when she's older and doesn't handle it as well, you know, there's just a lot of mom guilt that you can like, you constantly don't know you're second guessing. Am I making the right decision for her? Mm -hmm. Um, And with her, I mean, she's, she's been in these decision-making processes. I know she is only 11 or 12, but she's pretty mature and can understand. Um, but it's, yeah, it's definitely the risk have weighed heavily. Yeah. I mean, I think your point, Gracie is it's really interesting. I do think there is almost this sort of, there can be an element of almost like PTSD for, you know, a lot of people who have alopecia areata have, you know, more sort of these episodes, you know, where maybe they don't lose everything, but they get extensive patches and then, it regrows maybe with or without treatment and they're better, but I think it's always sort of like in the back of your mind, you know, when is this going to happen again? Right. Like every morning kind of checking the pillow, checking your scalp. So, um, you know, I completely understand that. And I've seen that with so many patients and I think it's like, you know, now you know how awful it felt. Right. And so Mm-hmm. it's not like going into something that's unknown. Now, now you've had that really terrible experience. And the, I think the idea of kind of like redoing it is, um, you know, that's scary. I can imagine. Um, so what, what do you think, um, 
I mean, did you have any experiences with any healthcare providers where you like sometimes people with alopecia areata, I think feel like they're, they feel a little bit dismissed in that, you know, they're told it's just hair or they can get a wig or, um, they kind of feel like their experience is minimized. Did, did you have that happen at all? seems like you were pretty lucky with, you know, some of the people that you saw, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for the most part, everyone was super sincere and like cared. Um, I think, I guess if I had to say one thing, I guess it would be um, when we were making appeals to insurance and they called it a cosmetic, like, you you know what I'm, isn't that what they, like it was. Filed. I don't know if they said it, but they made you feel like it, it was not justified and it was for cosmetic purposes, which. And so for that, I mean, I can, when I did that third appeal, like I got letters. Okay. So I went to like her guidance counselor and to people from church and my teacher, her teacher. And I wrote a letter and just her principal, anyone that had seen the effect on her and compiled all those letters. And I compiled pictures and obviously letters from you, Dr. Craiglow, her dermatologist here, her pediatrician here, just everyone saying like, this isn't just here. I mean, it affects everything about her. And if, if the data and the studies are showing that it works, then, you know, let her, let her try it. And so it did get reversed on the third time, which is, it felt like a huge victory. You know, we never did it, but yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like when we got the letter in the mail, in the mail, saying that it had been approved and we were already in the trial. We were like, oh, well, shoot. <laughs> but Tell us what it's like to be in a clinical trial um, because for sure in alopecia areata, that's, you know, that if we're, if there are going to be medicines that get approved, people need to take them in clinical trials, right? So um, I think it, it's definitely an interesting perspective and, and something that, you know, we want to know about. Okay. Um, yeah, so we started going to the clinical trial or going down to, we are from South Carolina and, um, we started going to this clinical trial in Tampa, uh, I guess, when was it? November, November 2019. of 2019 so for the first half of the trial, I guess, um, for the first year or six months, first six months, I, um, got the sugar pill, which we didn't know what I was getting. So, I mean, for all we knew, it could have been the medicine and the medicine wasn't working on me. The doctors didn't know what I was getting. Um, but then after the first six months, they gave me something else. And it was, I guess, the medicine because my hair grew back. And um, yeah, um, but it's, I mean, I, I like the clinical trial. <laughs> I, I, we get to go down to Florida every once in a while. So it's good. Um, and I just, it's, I just take a pill once a day and that's write it down, write down one time I took it. That's it. I mean, it's a, I'm proud of her for being, so she had a fear sort of of needles and getting shots before we started this. And, um, it it's been a big time and financial commitment from our family, because at the beginning you can go every two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, and then it stretches out to eight. Now it's like a few months. So now we're in phase two of that trial. So it's every three months. Um, but when we go down, most of the time, I think every time she gets blood work done, obviously photographs, um, occasionally audiology, but she's gotten so used to the 
blood work and everything. She's just very brave. And I don't know that if she realizes the magnitude of what she's doing by participating and how important this is for so many other people and um, really offering in a way her body. Now, as a mom, obviously I felt comfortable with the safety of the drug before I enrolled her. I don't want her just to be a guinea pig, but um, you know, she's, she's been really brave and I'm actually very proud of her for, and we've had really, it's really been a good bonding time, honestly, for us. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we've made trips out of it before we've taken my little sisters and grandparents down there and we've gone to Disney world while we're down there. So it's been, you know, it's been fun. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you are, you are making a huge contribution. Um, and it is, you know, obviously, fortunately, it's been beneficial to you, but it is a, in a way, you know, a very selfless thing, I think, to do. Um, and other people most likely are, are going to benefit from, you know, from your willingness to participate and your bravery and all that. So I hope, Gracie, you feel really proud of yourself too. Like your mom is and like, we are here. Listen, I'm getting teary eyed listening to your, <laughs> to your mom um, because it is, it's a pretty, it's a pretty incredible thing. And I, and I think, you know, the fact that you guys are traveling for the, I mean, what disease do people travel far, you know, in dermatology that, that we see people are flying on an airplane, you know, to do a clinical trial. It's not common, right? This is, this is, but this is fairly common in alopecia areata, right? because it is a big deal. It's not just hair. It is a very, you know, it's part of who you are. Right. Um, and so Gracie, what did it, what did it feel like when your hair started coming back in? It was great. I mean, I was thrilled. I was, um, I, I loved it. I mean, it was, it was at the time I was like, oh, I look like a boy because I had a boy's hair, you know, it, I look like a little boy, but, and I, I got called a, a, young Guy. man multiple times but um yeah you know so at the time it was kind of like well I'm glad I have hair but I wish I didn't look like a boy but now looking back honestly my hair was kind of cute it was super cute so um <laughs> yeah it was good it was one thing that was difficult about it it was at that length where it was kind of an awkward length because it was like I can't wear my wig anymore because it's too tight for my head now because I have hair um but I don't really love this haircut because I kind of look like a guy. And so, you know, it was like an off, like you're kind of stuck in between. So I think most of the time I just put on a wig cap with my wig and wore it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was obviously super happy whenever it started growing back. Before before your hair started coming back and where, when you were wearing your wig and having to draw on your eyebrows and eyelashes, how many times a day do you think you thought about it? Um, I think, I mean, I definitely thought about it in the mornings when I was up like crying, <laughs> trying to draw on my eyebrows so that they looked real and they looked like I had eyebrows. Um, and I definitely thought throughout the school day, I wonder if they're like looking at my eyelashes. I wonder if they're looking at my eyebrows, like whenever I would be talking to people. And I, I definitely think that times at times people were. Um, so, you know, I, I think I thought about it a good bit 
um, just being at school. And I mean, I know I would come home and tell mom, like when I'm talking to people, they just like look at me right here. Cause they're like trying to kind of look like, is she wearing a wig? Like, is that lace that I see on her forehead? Or even her friends that were friends of hers would be like, Grace, your eyebrows aren't the same today. Not even in a mean way, but just in a sixth grade, you know, girls blurting out what they're thinking or your eyebrows don't look real today or something. And you're just like, oh, as a mom, you know, like why? And they're not even being mean girls. Um, yeah, those are not the mean girls. No, it's just, and I think, I mean, as her mom, I can tell you, I thought about it all day, every day. I mean, literally I would think about it all day. I've never cried so much in my entire life. And I would stay up all night reading and researching and just like, I've got to find an answer. I mean, it was awful. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I think it, it's easy for somebody who hasn't been through this to, you know, to kind of say, Oh, just wear a wig. Oh, you can just draw it on. But it's not that easy. Number one, it's not comfortable, but number two, it isn't quite your real hair. You know, it's not quite there. And it, I think it's very distracting um, also because you're kind of, I have a lot of patients who I think who, you know, they're like afraid that the wind's going to blow, right? If they're maybe not wearing a wig, but they're putting their hair in a certain way to kind of cover their patches, like little kind of everyday things that we take for granted, like we can go swimming, no problem. You know, if you have a mm-hmm. wig, like swimming is kind of tough. Like I have a patient yeah, that's gym, definitely. who's a yeah, gymnast. She's missed so many summon swim parties and spend the night parties because I didn't want to have to, you know, take off my wig. And, you know, that's, Sorry, so I had to cough. Hold on. <coughs> Sorry, I had to cough. Um, yeah, definitely. Like, I've missed so many events with my friends just because I, you can't really sleep in a wig or you're going to wake up and your part's going to be over here. <laughs> or, you know, you can't swim in a wig because you just can't. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely in that way taken a toll. If you um, say you met a, a kid, you know, tomorrow who who's just diagnosed with alopecia areata or who's going through it, who maybe is your age or an element, you know, the age you were when it happened, what, what would you want them to know? Um, I don't know. I should think about it. Um, I guess just like people aren't really thinking about it as much as you think they are. Like, I think, I know a lot of times I would constantly think, oh, they're probably like thinking about that right now. They're probably looking at me. They weren't, they like, (laughs) they, I think I thought that people cared about it a lot more than they did, like cared about it in a bad way, a lot more than they actually did. So they have more important things to worry about than how you look. Oh my how gosh, about you, sorry. How about you, Crystal, to like a to a parent? Because I think the parent experience also is like you you get it in a really different way. You know, I always say to my patients, like I think I'm pretty close to getting it because I've seen so much of it, but I don't quite get it in the same way that you do because I haven't lived it. Um so like any advice that you would share or you know something that you, that would have been helpful for you to hear, you know, kind of anything like that. Yeah. I think just, um, it's going to be okay. Like you're going to be okay and your child's going to be okay. And this isn't the end of the world, even though it feels like it's 
legitimately the end of the world. Um, and honestly, the way that I did get through it is I tried to find the good things. So I would give thanks that she wasn't sick in a way that caused her to feel bad, you know, like physically bad. And I would give thanks that, um, you know, she didn't have a terminal illness or that's just the way I approach everything in life is everything could be worse. No matter what it is, it could always be worse. So, um, I've told actually a friend of mine had a child on social media that, um, she would post pictures of the child constantly. And after Gracie was diagnosed, I told Grace, I'm pretty positive that child has alopecia. And, um, I reached out to the mom and I showed Gracie, I'm like, don't you think? And the mom and dad said, oh no, they just said her hair slow coming in. She was like four or five. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, my daughter has alopecia. I thought it was it. Well, then it, it, she came back a few months later and was like, we asked the doctor about it and it actually is alopecia. And um, she had lost, now at this point has lost all of her hair. So, I mean, that's, they had lived with it since the child was young. Um, like born, I Born think, with yeah, it. Yeah. They always had like sprouts here. So it was a different experience, but still her processing that the hair is never coming in um, was a very hard thing. And, I, you know, I just told them like, they'll be okay. Kids are way more resilient than we can ever imagine. And they bounce back and handle it probably with more ease than the parents can. So, um, and give yourself a break because, you know, we can't fix everything, but. Yeah. And I think that was a cool thing to see too, like how much of a different experience they had with it. Like it's, it doesn't, it's not the same experience for everyone with alopecia, which is kind of cool to see because for a lot of um, illnesses or diseases or whatever, you know, most of the time, there's people who experience it the same way, but I really feel like for alopecia, everyone who has it has a complete different experience with it, I, I think. So I think that was cool to, not, that sounds bad, like not cool, but I think it was interesting. Like you yeah. have a friend at school. Yeah, I, there's a girl at my school who, her hair, you can't even tell, but she, she has spots and patches and, you know, we've bonded over that, which sounds crazy, but, you know, so, and she, like that, I mean, we've, me and her had a completely different experience with it. So. And I think, you know, it, you are kind of proof that, that there actually is hope. Right. <laughs> um, and I think that's, what's kind of different now from, you know, even five years ago. Um, so like for me, when I see a really young child, it may not be the right time, you know, to put them on, on treatment that's, maybe likely to be effective, but, but to be able to say to their families, like, look, there, there are, there is this class of medicines that has a lot of promise and it, there may be an approved therapy in, in some period of time. You know, I think that having, having hope is, is really huge. Right. And you kind of talked about the beginning, Crystal, like when you're reading, you're feeling like, oh my God, this is forever you know, like this is it, like it's not coming back. Right. And, and I think for people with severe disease, that is how we kind of used to think about it. every so often, maybe we would get lucky, but there wasn't anything that was reliably effective. Whereas now the story is changing. Right. Um, and thanks to people like you, Gracie, who are involved in these things and to science and we're, we're reaching a point where this isn't necessarily a disease that people have to live with. Right. Um, so that I think, especially for patients who are newly diagnosed or, or even who've been living with it, right. Um, that 
that can, I think, kind of change perspective and, and make things maybe a little bit more kind of palatable. So, so you're growing here. Uh, the people listening can't see you. I can, I can see you right now, but um, why don't you tell folks about kind of what the regrowth has been like? When did, what did you notice at first? Was it, did it come in kind of uniformly? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I had regrowth, I guess. I mean, it was as soon as I got on the medicine, I would say probably a week later, I started noticing, or maybe a couple of weeks. Yeah. A couple of weeks later, I started noticing regrowth. Now my hair before it fell out was brown. It was light brown. Um, and when my hair grew back after being on this medicine, it was like, like white, like very, 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 very light blonde. Um, and so, you know, when it was growing back, um, up until the length of like a buzz cut, it was blonde. And then it started to get super dark, like darker than my hair was before it fell out, which is, you know, it went from like way lighter than what my hair was before it fell out to dark, dark brown with and white tips. with white tips. Yeah. I mean, it was, I was Corella DeVille, <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, it was, it was crazy. And so then, you know, after my hair continued to grow and it got a little bit longer than the length of, I guess, a buzz cut, um, it, it was growing back curly, which another thing, like my hair was straight, like as a stick, you can't see my mom's hair, but <laughs> it, I mean, it was, it was completely like straight, like no wave to it at all. And I mean, it was growing back like ringlets curly, um, so now it's about the length of two shoulders. The longest hair is to my shoulders and my shortest is, you know, I mean, to I don't ear. know how to describe it to my ear. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, so she's probably it's, six it's still, seven inches. yeah, it's, it's still like, I have like ringlets in the back. I have to straighten it. And if I want it straight and if not, I have to straighten my curly pieces like of my natural hair and then curl, I have extensions um and then curl the rest of it but I mean it's it's crazy to see it grow back and you know have like ringlet curly hair whenever you know all all you've ever had before is stick straight hair so and so when it came in it was uniform like it was all over um and she got her eyelashes and eyebrows back her arm hair you know everything that had gone leg hair. So now she has to shave, which I was like, that's actually a blessing of alopecia. So <laughs> that's what you can tell a parent is. Be I always for- joke that if we could localize it, you know, yes. you'd really, um, yeah. Did you, I think sometimes when it starts to grow in people, there's this like cautious optimism, right? Like you're so excited, but you don't want to get too excited because what if it's, you know, not for real or what if you definitely. go backwards Did yeah you that's that? one of the yes that's definitely one of like the biggest things that we were like oh this is great but don't get too yeah. happy yet I always you know tried I mean? to I'm a little bit of a pessimist so I'd always say like don't get too excited just in case you know like keep your mind always on the side of it's okay if you have alopecia I mean I want you to celebrate but and to that end, back, gonna, sorry, oh, go ahead go going back to how my hair grew back when it grew back it was like my mom said, very uniform. Like it was, I didn't have any bald spots. I didn't have any, I mean, it was completely all over my head. Um, and re not recently, but as it got longer, um, 
I started to form that ophiasis pattern again. And um, I also have a bald spot um, like at the very uh, right above my forehead on the left side. So it's the same way that it's when um, she first lost it. It's like, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right now I have an ophiasis pattern. But not and, as bad. Um, like I did when I first was losing hair and a bald spot um right above the left side of my forehead which is again like right where I lost it the first time which is you know looking back also just crazy but um other than that I have full regrowth all over my head um I'll have like a bald spot yeah it's coming back um I'll have like a bald spot pop up and then it'll grow back in and then I'll have another one pop up and then it'll grow back in but the ophiasis pattern is not going anywhere apparently because I have no regrowth there. But yeah, it's still smooth. Um, the the back part did come in, but it's a little bit splotchy. The ones on the side, I mean, it's just super super smooth with like no baby fine hair. When you when you got those first couple of patches after having it come in uniformly, how did what was that like? Um, honestly, it, this is like, I didn't really notice when it was falling out. And I think that's because my hair was so short at the time that, you know, when it first fell out my hair, I had hair a little bit past my shoulders. So it was obvious when your hair is falling out, but when you have hair, that's a little bit longer than buzz cut length, you can't really, you don't really notice as much. Um, so I guess I didn't really notice until it was, I mean, gone. gone. Yeah. So did it make you like nervous or scared or like, do you just sort of take it in stride? Um, it's, it, it makes me nervous that I'm going to have more fallout, but, um, it, it does, it, it gives me, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, uh, anxiety. No, it's something good. Oh, <laughs> um, it makes me happy I guess that that those are the only spots I'm losing it I'm not losing it all over I'm just losing um in those certain spots yeah I think sometimes you know it's not uncommon for people to develop patches while on the medicine and I think though sometimes when that first happens it's like can send somebody kind of into a panic or a tailspin and um I've started now telling patients and family that look I sort of view these medicines as um, taking people from severe to mild and there may be patches and that doesn't, it's not common that that is going to sort of take off, but, you know, generally, you know, generally will stay mild. But, but I do think that that can kind of sort of ignite that anxiety again, sort of like when you're finally like, okay, I have hair, life is more normal. And then boom, you know, you're kind of brought, brought backwards. And I think that, you know, that contributes to the to the difficulty, I think of, you know, the experience of this disease. I think for me, it stressed me out when I saw them, like I said, I still check her here and she's almost like, mom, please. Like, cause I just think about it, I think more than she does. But um, when she started to lose, like I had to start deciding, do I leave her in the trial? Do I pull her out? Like, is it worth her being on the medicine if her hair is falling out? I don't want her to and she said, has said several times, she feels like she's losing her eyelashes. Um, yeah, I think I'm definitely, I mean, I, I'll catch myself sometimes going like this just to see <laughs> if it's coming out. And I, I mean, I definitely think that they are. 
Um, but I mean, it's not noticeable. So that tells me that they're growing in and falling out, which is what my hair is doing. So this is Jen jumping in with a question here. You talked about the different ways your hair grew back and how you straighten the curly parts. Is there anxiety that comes with styling your hair and using products and heat and things like that? What is that like for you? Yeah, there definitely is, especially since I decided to get extensions for school. Um, you know, extensions, they sew them into your hair and they pull on your hair and you're like, okay, well, this is adding an extra weight to my hair that's already struggling to come in. So she was definitely, my mom was definitely, is definitely concerned about that. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, you know, putting heat on anyone's hair isn't good but especially, like I said, hair that's already struggling to come in. Um, and yeah, with, you know, how I have, like I said, I, again, I play volleyball. I have to wear my hair in a ponytail. Um, and with an ophiasis pattern and a bald spot right in the middle, like of your head, right at the front, you can't wear your hair in a high ponytail and you can't wear, right. you know, you can't do fringe braids like the rest of the team does. And you know what I mean? So there's a lot of factors that play into it. So I usually just wear it in a low ponytail, which is fine. But I mean, it's still, you know, when everyone else is doing one thing and you can't because of, you know, how it looks because of alopecia. Um, yeah, that was a huge point hard. of contention in our house because it looks like I'm trying to cut my hair like a boy and I don't want to go to school looking like that. And she was begging for extensions and I'm like, 100,000% opposed because of the time and effort and tears and money we've put into trying to have her hair grow back. And it was very important to her. And, you know, her dad said no, and I said no. And ultimately, Gracie convinced us that it was important to her. And so we let her do it. And it's, it's been fine. But um, I think part of her sometimes regrets it because she does have to get up an hour earlier and try to like blend her natural hair. But then at the same time, she was so uncomfortable with the way that she looked she's grateful to have the hair. Like I keep, you know, I don't want to make it sound like she's not, yeah, I'm not grateful, but I, I mean, I am grateful, but like I said earlier, whenever I was talking about wearing a wig, you just, you want to look like your friends look and you want to look like the other girls look at school, like in middle school, that's just what I guess <laughs> something that's important to me. Last year, she didn't go to school. She did homeschool for the year that her hair was growing in and her hair was a big, I and mean, that was definitely a factor in me doing that because, um, you know, as it high. was growing in, the wig was just too hot on top of hair and too much of a hassle to have to like, I mean, I, I, like I said, I would, whenever I had shorter hair, I would put on a wig cap with my wig um whenever I would go to church on Wednesday nights or go out to eat with my friends and that would be for an hour or two hours and I would like come home and have a splitting headache because it, the wig was just too tight with my hair so you know eight hours or seven hours however long at school would have just been un, like not doable especially like plus the heat of that of my hair plus a wig um so yeah it was it, that was definitely a played a part in me doing homeschool last year or online school mm -hmm. last year. Yeah. I, I think, you know, especially for females, it's an important who tend to wear their hair longer. It's a really important point in that 
once your hair starts growing, it's not like, oh, you know, everything is back to normal, right? I have, especially for those who've been wearing a wig that might be long. And, you know, I have patients who take years actually to be comfortable removing their wig um, because all of a sudden they would look really different if their hair was short and maybe a little bit different texture or color than the wig was. And I think, I think what it is, is people just, you don't want unwanted attention, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, you don't want to do anything that's sort of going to be like, Oh, you know, draw, you know, draw attention to it. And then I think also there's this sort of worry about, Oh my gosh, well, what if I were to get a patch and then I have to go back. And so, um, yeah, what do you do? Yeah, I well, will say when she had lost all of her hair, tell her about people coming up to you. Like, do you have cancer? Oh yeah. I had, I mean, I went out, one of my most vivid memories of this is I, when I went to um, the beach and I went to this beach, like uh, rush, this restaurant at the beach twice in one night, a girl told me I was beautiful and probably thought I had cancer. And then some guy at the shop that we went to gave me something for free because he thought I had cancer and I have like it was like a little turtle thing from the shop that I have in my room in the elevator saying I'm gonna pray for you you're gonna beat this I mean just the people just automatically and I would just like also I'd just be like okay thank you because I'm not like I'm not gonna sit there and explain it to him (laughs) okay thank you um but going back to what you said about um not wanting that extra attention whenever um, like if you were to, you know, stop wearing your wig and just wear your natural hair, that's something that also like whenever people would think that I was wearing a wig to get attention, um, or, you know, to be extra, it's like just the complete opposite. It's like 100% just like, no, it's actually so that I don't draw attention to myself. And so that I, you know, don't stand out in a crowd. So it was, it's the complete opposite of what people would, you know, assume. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, you know, that experience of people, strangers, especially assuming that you have cancer is for people with, you know, extensive hair loss, that is like a universal experience. Um, mm-hmm. There is a very strong association between hairlessness and, and cancer and illness and, Um, I think, you know, that contributes to this complicated psychology also, because here you are reinforce, you know, like, then you're like, oh my gosh, they think I have cancer. I don't have cancer. And then you sort of feel bad. Right. And it's this, it's, it's a very, again, a very unique experience. Um, And I think, you know, you, even though you aren't sick, people think you look sick. And then all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. how does that make you feel about yourself and, you know, all these things. So, um, but I think it's, that is very, very, you know, very common, you know, experience. Yeah. Great. Well, I think we got a lot of material, right, Jen? (laughs) Yeah, we got a lot. So I just want to say thank you both so much for doing this. Um, it was really incredible talking to you both. And thank you, Dr. Craiglow, for all you're doing for alopecia areata research and for all the care and guidance you're giving your patients. Um, and Gracie and Crystal, I just really, really, really appreciate your wisdom and your time and being so open and candid with us. This was really incredible. 
No, thank you. Thank you. We're happy to do it. And we're, you know, Dr. Pregla knows we think the world of her and she, I mean, we contribute, you know, you changed her life. It's all because of you that she's here. And if it weren't for you, we wouldn't have this. So we thank yeah. you for that. Thank you so much. Now you're really going to make me cry, <laughs> but I think, I think, you know, that if that part gets included in the podcast, I think, you know, as a dermatologist, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people sort of shy away from treating hair loss because it is difficult. It takes more time. Um, but for me, like some of the most meaningful relationships I have with, you know, patients and families are patients who have alopecia areata. And look, we've only met once in person, right? <laughs> but we we've been in touch and communicated and, um, you know, I immediately thought of you guys for this and, um, it was really special to have you and, um, Gracie, you're just like, so poised and mature and incredible, incredible kid, um, just really and truly. Um, and I, I think you, you know, your, your story is like, it's inspiring. Um, and I think hopefully, you know, in the end, this was not something that you would, wish upon your worst enemy. Right. But there will be some things that you take from the experience that I think you'll, um, that will change the way you interact with the world probably in, you know, in a way that, that impacts people positively. Right. In terms of, yeah, maybe that's what I told her. She was, I feel like she was picked like for this and this is her story and she's going to change people's lives because of it. Well, I cannot think of a better way to round out the six part series than on that note. A very special thank you to our patient family, Crystal and Gracie, for joining us and sharing their story. It's so very important, and we so very appreciate them. Also, a very special thank you to our program chairs, Dr. Britt Craiglow and Dr. Leslie Castello-Socio. They have been incredible in putting together this six-part series. I would also like to thank Pfizer for supporting this program with a grant. Vidra is solely responsible for the content in this program. You can listen to the entirety of this series on demand in the Pedra Pearls podcast channel available on iTunes and Google Play. Make sure to leave us a comment and tell us how we're doing. For other information on Pedra's educational activities, be sure to visit www.pedraresearch.org. This series was produced and edited by me, Jen Dawson, and Pedra's executive director, Mike Siegel. For questions about this program or any other educational content Pedra is producing, please email us at info at Thanks for listening.